on now, yeah? Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast, recording live from True Digital Park. You've just got to come and see this place to believe it. This is easily, and I talked about this online with somebody a couple of days ago, easily one of the most ambitious projects in Asia. Today, I'm talking to the co-founders of Zvuk, Anna Ratala, to whom we spoke back at the end of April. I originally said beginning of May, but that's wrong. And Malika Mukamedev. Um, who's the co-founder. We already know who Anna is. Malik, can you just give us a bit of background on yourself for context so we can know the whole team? Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. So my lovely co-founder likes to call me a tech wizard or a thinking brain behind the technology of Zvuk, and uh, I like the sound of that, so let's, uh, let's, let's go with that. that. <laughs> as far as my background is concerned, I just have um, over 10 years of experience in IT and I've actually acquired a, a critical mass of knowledge that is perfect for building a platform such as Facebook. So this is, uh, this is what I do. I'm banging on my keys all day long. And where are you from? I'm uh, originally from Uzbekistan and then me and my family immigrated to Belgium uh, when I was 17. And I spent 18 years in Belgium studying computer science and uh, providing IT consulting services to, to big brands. And then uh, one thing led to another. I always wanted to build something, a business of my own. Uh, it brought me to Singapore, uh, to this fantastic uh, program, which is Antler, where I uh, met uh, my lovely co-founder. And the rest is history. So are you in Singapore because of Antler? Yes, yes. I didn't I know that. Okay, that's kind of cool, actually. So what does that make you? You speak French, you speak Russian? Is there an Uzbeki language? There must be, yeah, and English, right? Uh, yes, there is, but although although I don't speak that language, unfortunately. Yeah, just uh, Errors of the childhood. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, we all have a few of those. Okay, look, when we caught up at the end of April, I think it's pretty fair to say that Zvuk was not like a fully formed idea. That's a while ago now. What is it, three, two and a half months ago. And I feel like a lot has changed in that time. Can you guys tell me like what you've learned, what you've built, and just like what's happened since the last time Anna and I spoke? Yeah, man. Hi, hi, Michael. Hi. Good to be good to be here on the podcast. And uh, yeah, a lot of magic has happened. Uh, you I like know, magic. Um, so yeah, <laughs> since I'm working with a tech wizard, there's been a lot of magic definitely around developing the platform. I, I feel like basically every single thing that we've achieved to you know to this point has, has happened mainly in the past two and a half months. So when we spoke last, we really had an idea of this platform that would help match brands with podcasts, that would help podcasts monetize, that would help brands reach out to you know their target audience in a more effective manner and you know get access to a majority of fantastic podcasting content with a highly engaged audience and we had this you know vision of what we were going to build but that's pretty much all we had at that point i think we had like a landing page you did. <laughs> uh, and last uh, two and a half months we've actually started building the platform so uh, malik has actually uh, you know, uh, gotten a, a team of a couple of developers who worked, started to work on the actual platform, we built a proper website. Um, you know, we've got the first signups from podcasts. The first brands have signed up. We've generated a couple of matches. You did? You know, business. Yes, we have. That's yeah. awesome. Both, uh, both here in Southeast Asia and in the U.S. So what has happened in last week, we actually pitched at Anchor Singapore's Demo Day. So that was basically... Uh, kind of the wrap up of our journey with Anchor, and uh, yeah, now we're we're in a sense, uh, you know, kind of entering a new phase, exciting phase 
fundraising, building the platform, getting customers, getting out there, uh, building momentum. And yeah, just full speed. <laughs> so one of the tenets of the Antler program, at least as it was explained to me by Yossi and by you as well, right, is that even though you're kind of based in the Antler program in Singapore, that doesn't mean you have to stay in Singapore if your clients or if your main customers are in another place. So you guys decided that your main customers were in New York, at least if I remember correctly. And so that means you went to New York. What was that experience like and how would, did you find sort of the New York ecosystem to be different than Singapore? Yeah, that's actually one of the, uh, I think, big advantages of Android, that they have a global network, that if you're building something where you're, you realize your market is somewhere else, you actually have an opportunity to, to, to go there and you'll have a support system in, you know, in that market. So we were, you know, based at Android's office in, in New York and got a lot of support from there. Um, and yeah, our go-to market is, is in the U.S. The platform is global, really. We have right now signups from Europe, from Australia, Southeast Asia, America. But really, the go-to market is in the U.S. That's where most of the listeners and podcasts really are. And I remember we were like, I think it was two weeks, like exactly two weeks after we had pitched to Anthers Investment Committee the idea, and we heard that we got the initial funding from Anther. Two weeks from then, we were sitting on a plane on our way to New York, and we were like, oh, my God, we're doing this. Like, this is uh, happening. Like, we were actually, what are we, where are we going? Like, what are we, what is this whole thing? Uh, it was really crazy. Uh, it was exciting. It was a little bit frightening at the same time as well. Like, we'd only worked together uh, for a few weeks. And we were so excited about this opportunity. And we had everything on paper. But really, this was the real deal. Like, we got the plane tickets. We were on the plane <laughs> on our way to New York. So that was a pretty, pretty crazy experience. And you know, we spent five weeks there, you know, speaking with podcasts, with brands, with agencies, getting to know people, going to lots of events, literally pitching to everybody that we met, <laughs> asked for introductions. And we really understood that, you know, whatever we're building is resonating with people, which was very exciting. We got some really good conversations going on, but also realized, I guess, that, you know, it's not, yes, as a market, the U.S. is very competitive and people always say it's much more cutthroat and if you make it in, you know, if you make it in New York, if you make it anywhere. And I guess, you know, we had expectations of it being really, really tough and, you know, having a difficult time in the beginning. But actually it was, it was quite the opposite. People were incredibly open to speak with us, sit down, have a meeting. It was much easier to get a meeting actually in New York than almost it would be in, in Singapore. People are incredibly open to new ideas and, you know, give their time to listen to what you have to offer. And so very, very friendly environment. And, and obviously from the media perspective, I mean, New York really is kind of the media hub in, in the US. So it was a really good, good city for us to establish ourselves. Did you get a chance to meet so, so any sort of very prominent podcasters, but also any digital agencies, any people that have kind of been in the podcast sponsor and supporter matching to podcast? Did you get a chance to meet any of them? We spoke with a few. We had some, some calls with a few of them. But mainly we were really concentrating on, on speaking with the, with, the, with the established agencies that, you know, are, are buying ad spaces and, and kind of decide making advertising decisions for their clients because essentially that's where we want to be. That's who, who we want to be on their lips. Um, and one of the more interesting ones was actually VaynerMedia. Um, so we met up with their head of partnerships who was incredibly open to sit down with us, explain how they do, how their process of advertising and buying, you know, advertising space for their clients is right now, what their clients are looking for, the fact that a lot of even bigger brands are kind of moving away from 
just performance-driven advertising and going more into brand awareness and building brand equity. And that's where podcasts are fantastic for. Um, and so I've kind of heard a little bit more about that and heard about the challenges that they see currently in the market or, you know, what would need to happen for them to spend more on podcasts and so on. And, and we really felt like we could bridge some of those gaps for them. So it was really encouraging to have those conversations. You said she was the head of partnerships, right? Like, are they open to partnerships outside of the United States? Do they maintain good partnerships in Asia? Do they see Asia as a fertile ground for growth, you know, not just for their business, but for the podcast business as a whole? Well, I mean, we didn't really talk about about that side. It was more about what they do, how they work with their clients currently, and what are some of the opportunities. You know, the, the, the clients come to them and they say, here's our budget, and this is what we want to achieve. You go figure out what are the best platforms and what are the best mediums and, and avenues for us to, to be on, and, and that's what the agency is working on. And so, obviously, they're always looking for new ways and new avenues and new platforms to get the voice of their brands and, and, and clients out there. And so that's mainly what we talked about in the U.S. market, yeah. Okay, so one of the things you said was that, you know, even though the U.S. or the New York market is meant to be very cutthroat, you got the idea or the sense that people are really open to helping you get a meeting. If you ask somebody for a meeting, they were like, sure, why not? What do you think accounts for the difference? In other words, you know, whether it's Singapore or Bangkok or Kale, it's really small, right? It should be more... I don't know, intimate or accepting, whereas New York is just really big. And it almost seems counterintuitive that they'd be more open to meeting strangers. But that's like, what do you think accounts for it? Yeah, it's actually really interesting. I think it kind of comes from people's mentality of almost a little bit of the sphere of missing out because you want to be the one who's riding the wave, right? If there's something, if something new is coming up, it's a new service, it's a new product, it's a new startup. You want to be one of the first ones to, you know, to take advantage of it and to use it and to to be able to benefit from it. You know, you're you're more open to taking risks and trying something out if you feel like that could be something exciting. So I think that's the mentality, and that's why people are so hungry to learn about anything new, new people, new services, new startups, and that obviously plays to our advantage really well. And we have a really you know, kind of fun and interesting and different story. Like there's this guy from Belgium and a girl from Finland that met in Singapore. They're now in New York building this thing and podcasting resonates really well yeah, with people. Everybody's yeah, yeah. like, I know, do I have a podcast? Like I know someone who does. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's a really easy kind of conversation starter. So I feel like we are, you know, after we speak with people, they, they definitely remember us. Right. So this is the thing. You brought up a really good point, right? So you two met at Antler. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it, and maybe this is a question for both of you, and maybe Anna, you start, and then maybe Malik, you can finish, but like, what was it about the other founder, like you said, you know, a woman from Finland and a guy from Belgium through Uzbekistan, right? Like, what was it about each other that said, we got to do this and this could work? Because remember, again, another one of the tenets of Antler is get together, see if it works, and be aggressive about breaking up if it doesn't work, right? I guess initially it was... You know, you're always, so I, I have a strong business background and Malik has a strong tech background. So obviously initially that was kind of like, well, you want to find someone who's complementary. So that's like the basic level of, well, let, let's try to work with someone who has a completely different skill set. But we have a really funny story because when we, when we decided that we should, you know, catch up and just talk a little bit about like our ideas and our backgrounds, just like have a conversation because we'd heard many good things about each other from, you know, the cohort and from the actor team. And so we're like, well, we should actually, we should actually talk. 
and we have a really funny story because we're gonna go and like have a have a conversation in a meeting room a few floors up and we go to the elevator and the elevator gets stalled. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> so we get stuck in an elevator for like twenty minutes and we're like, okay, well maybe yeah, like I mean let's talk, right? Like this is the perfect time, what else will we do? And I think that that was like a perfect icebreaker um, for us. And and then we continued in that meeting room once we eventually got there for like another like two hours or something and talked about like everything about like how would you, you know, what, what kind of, you know, company culture would you want to have and, and what's your working style and what do you absolutely hate and what are you really good at and what are you not good at? Very honest conversations. And I think that's when you kind of started realizing that, okay, not only do we have complementary skill sets, but also you know, as, as people, you know, we, we share something in common, um, some thoughts in common that, that, you know, could set us up really well for building a business together. I want to hear your side of the story. Like, it almost feels like somebody set up the elevator to break down so you guys would be able to spend 10 minutes, like, in complete isolation and talk to each other. Absolutely, absolutely. It really feels like a sign from, from above. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, as far as um, my motivations are concerned, uh, it only takes a couple of uh, minutes uh, in the same room with Anna to really realize that she's a real steam engine that will uh, propel everything to a freaking stratosphere uh, sooner or later. And I spent two to almost what, two months uh, together in the same room, even though we were not really communicating a lot or worked together before beforehand. But it was enough. Even like ten meters afar, you can feel that uh, this is a real CEO, so it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious. There's some kind of Anna energy that kind of needs to get bottled and sold or just like needs to get... I'm not kidding though. Can you feel it through Skype? Say it again? Yeah, I can. I can. As a matter of fact, um, I had to put on some sunglasses just to get the glare down. Yeah. <laughs> How many people are in the cohort? A uh, hundred founders. A hundred founders. And is the matching process, it almost feels to me like it's like a high school dance where like just some people are on one side of the room and other people are on the other side of the room and everyone's, you know what I mean? Is it, are people just always mixing and talking or is it more like, geez, I wonder what that person's like, but I can't go over and talk to them because they seem too important. It's, uh, it's an interesting phenomenon, but uh, to be honest, like the group itself auto-adjusts. In a, like first week is uh, people are checking each other out. By the end of the first week, we kind of had 10% of people we, we, we know we would never uh, be able to work together and 10% of people who are like top, top-notch right. um, profiles you would really dream, dream about working with. And then uh, as, uh, as it progresses further, you just, uh, it just readjusts a little bit more and step-by-step, step, gradually, you, you filter a little bit more. And, uh, no, I don't know. How, how did you feel about that? Yeah, no, I mean, the same way. yeah, I mean, the same way. And, and I actually ended up working with like tons of different people and all like incredibly smart and, and, you know, and fun. And, you know, many of whom like we became like really good friends. But for you to be able to build a business with someone like you have to have it, it like you have to have enough complementary skills, but then you have to have something in common and you have to really like imagine working with that person like like day in and day out, like for the next five, seven, ten, how many years, right? Yeah. So, and, and, and we're always, like, making this joke with, with Malik, but I think, like, a lot of people who, who meet us say the same, that we're really the yin and yang. Like, we're, we're, we're so, like, we're different in personalities, but then we have that something overlapping that makes it really fun for us to work together and, and really we're aligned in so many different things and we can bring each other, like, different perspective and different angles and, and, really complement one another in terms of the skill sets. So that's really important. And I guess there is a little bit of 
luck involved as well, as always, right? And just being at the right place at the right time with the right, you know, being in that elevator that gets stuck and then, you know, gives you a chance to speak. So, I mean, there's there's a little bit of that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, Antler really has, has been like, like a catalyst to make it all possible. Yeah, I will say this, and I've said this to the two of you offline, and I'll say it online as well. This is probably the second team that I've met where I'm pretty confident that even if you don't build the thing you think you're going to build now, you're probably going to build something that's going to be really big. There is a there is a palpable energy. I, I think I'd be afraid to be in the same room with both of you at the same time. There is a palpable energy there that feels really positive, and that's hard to manufacture, I think. Oh, thank you, Michael. Really it. It means a lot. Oh, I, I mean it, and that's why I'm saying it online so other people can hear it so I can be on the record. So how was the demo day? I watched that stream, a little bit of it. I watched Anna's, was it like a 10-minute pitch? I can't remember how long it was. No, it was four minutes, was literally. Four? And that was the most difficult presentation I've ever given because it was only four minutes. It was so tight, Diana. Like, there was no, there was no fluff. No, I mean, and literally, we all, all the teams, so we had 17 teams, and we all practiced a lot. And, I, I mean, I'm someone who you know, can talk, right? And like having a presentation is not an issue. But but the biggest challenge was really taking out all that fluff and, and using four minutes only to talk about it. So you really have to think about what you say and how you say it. And, and we, we, we did practice quite a bit and, and all the teams practiced. And I think everybody did a fantastic job. So we had some help from Andrew and some of their, you know, coaches. And then Malik was, of course, representing us. What was it like being on stage in front of five? Were there 500 people there? That was the plan, right? Yeah, that was like over 500 people. It was like packed. packed. Is that is that fun for you? Is it scary? Like, what is it like? I love it, but that's my personality. But I really loved it. I it, it's like I feel like I was more nervous at dress rehearsals when you like have a, a an empty hall and you're trying to picture all these people there and try to remember what to say. But then when you get in and you just get so much energy from these people, they're all watching and. You just want to nail it, and and it was great. I I love it. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. <laughs> what was the result? I don't understand how it works. So when that thing's over, after Malika's outside talking to hundreds of people, and you're on stage, and everybody sees you, and they understand the idea, and you kind of your presentation actually went really well. But was there a Q and A afterwards? And if there wasn't, like, what's the follow up process? And does anybody raise on that day? You know what I mean? So basically, the, uh, there's no Q&A, uh, so you have all the pitches, and then after that, um, you know, the investors have a chance to, to speak with us then outside, right, by the stalls. Obviously, you know, they're provided with all the contact details. They can register their interest already prior to the demo day, and, and you know, we get informed if somebody has requested more information or wants to meet up. Um, and then they basically come to the stall, speak with the actual founders, ask questions, and then you normally set up meetings. I think it's very unheard of that somebody would actually come with a checkbook and write a check on the spot. That would be amazing, but I don't think that happens. I don't think that's very common. Um, but but uh, yeah, definitely good follow-up. So we've had actually this whole week, we've, like on, on Friday and, and Monday, we spent you know full days just following up, um, you know, emailing our decks across scheduling meetings so we have um, a lot of meetings this and next week uh, as as follow-ups so it's it's exciting and, and then obviously see how the conversations go but so are you raising a specific amount of money yeah we're raising five hundred thousand dollars in pre-seed okay. uh, right now to for us to to be able to actually complete the, the the platform so the first version will be live at the end of july so we're actually doing pretty well for that, given that, you know, we don't even have the first version out. We already have signups and we've already generated some matches. Uh, but, the, but the actual 
platform will be live end of July. Um, and for us to be able to further develop and, and kind of finalize it, we'll need some, some further funding. So Malik, do you want to talk a little bit about just the status of the product and actually what is that product that's going to be released by the end of July or the beginning of August? Like what's your expectation for what's actually going to be released that's different from what you already have today? Sure, sure. Well, needless to say, there's going to be a relatively bare bones. People, so podcasters and brands will be able to create themselves accounts effectively, profile themselves. Although when I say profile themselves, we will be able to do some heavy lifting for podcasters because we spent like the last month connecting to uh, iTunes uh, library, iTunes uh, metadata uh, library, and we now we've collected uh, over 18,000 podcasts with all the meta information. Michael, you are you distribute your content through iTunes. You're definitely in in our database uh, uh, now. He's also created a profile in, in the yeah, yeah, I did, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, uh, obviously, creating the skeleton, the cornerstones of the knowledge graph itself. So right now, it has basic information like uh, categories, podcasts, people. So right now, you, Michael Wait, you uh, look like a orange floating node uh, in, a, in a big uh, knowledge graph connected to a bunch of podcasts you host mm-hmm. with publicly available information in it. So, so all this information will be nicely presented uh, in your user profile. I, I don't believe um, there will be a possibility to create campaigns and automatically you know, get in touch with brands and so on. But we will have a, a communication channel such as a chat uh, eventually or simply a contact form. There will be relatively basic in the beginning, but um, the foundation will be there. I mean, as we speak, I'm looking at the, uh, uh, the user interface uh, we're working on right now. And, it looks beautiful. I'm a little bit biased maybe, but I really like it. <laughs> so what do you guys see? Like, well, how do you split up your responsibilities and how big is your team as it stands right now? Is it just the two of you? Do you have other people working on it? Yeah, so, so basically, yeah, we're, the two of us are kind of doing the heavy lifting, but Malik has hired two, two developers to his team to help him with with the platform, uh, and we also have two advisors that are pretty hands on. One is with an agency background, another one is with uh, you know with a big media company background. So they're helping us as well. We'll be looking to to hire some more people, um, obviously in the coming months. Subject to how how our fundraising will go. Uh, there's so much work, but literally we're we're both kind of doing a whole bunch of different things. So I, I, I'm mainly responsible, obviously for the for the business side. So right now sales and outreach, partnerships, fundraising, things like that. And then uh, Malik is really building, he's like the brain behind the platform. He's really building the, the technology with, with the developers. Uh, but then we do, we do a whole bunch of like different things that kind of overlap. And, and we talk a lot, like even if it is something about tech or if it's something about business, we both have a conversation about that and we both know, you know where we're at, uh, even though we kind of have very clear responsible like responsibility areas, we still we still talk a lot. So you you've spoken to a bunch of investors, right? Both on demo day and probably after that. Yeah. What kinds of questions are they asking you besides the sort of general silliness of what's your traction and how much revenue don't you have? Do you know what I mean? Like, what are the other questions that they're really yeah, all these asking? Silly questions. But that's but that's silly, I think. Anyway, because you understand. And, and again, just to be clear, at this stage of investment, and I say this a lot, this is a, this is an experiment. I mean, it's an aggressive experiment. But at this stage, it's an experiment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right, and I, and I think you know that the the biggest, I guess, deciding factor as well for many investors is really the team, and just like you said, right, whether me and Malik are the people 
that they believe can build this or build something that's going to become big. Right. Uh, and obviously, we hope that the answer is yes. But yeah, they talk with regards to the actual product, right? They, they, you know, there's a lot of generic questions so far, like why do you think you know you can build this better than someone else? What else is already out there? How big is the opportunity? What the market looks like? So relatively basic questions, nothing crazy really has come up yet. Yeah, but again, like I said, whatever we do resonates. Andres and Horowitz just published a big study on podcasting and investing in podcasting actually a, a month and a half ago. And so a lot of investors would have read that or at least browsed through. So they know that this opportunity is really big. And then the question is like, which of the pain points we're solving? Okay, monetization, how? And whether or not they believe that we're the right thing to do that and so far we've had a really positive positive response to that got it and do you have investors from all over the world looking at it or are they mostly regional so right now we've spoken with investors in the states uh, when we were there uh, even prior to demo day and now obviously from the demo day the follow-ups have been from southeast asia so singapore indonesia regional investors basically got it i'm sometimes amazed when teams like yours and the antler guys can get like 500 people in a room on a day i just think that's yeah. amazing <laughs> Yeah, it was a it was a great experience, and it's a it's a good way as well. And, and this is also again like comes back to the value of being a part of of you know a startup program like this. You can actually have a chance to pitch to five hundred investors, and and we got so much. Even people that are not investors or want want invest and reach out saying, "Hey, great job! This is really exciting what you guys are doing." You never know who they know. Next time they'll speak with someone, they'll recommend us or they'll remember us. Um, so there's a lot of value in creating that momentum as well. And I think sometimes startups kind of, you know, they, they concentrate so much on, you know, just, just crunching, building the product, speaking with investors, so on. They forget the meaning of momentum, creating that buzz. And I feel that's really important because nobody wants to have that FOMO moment of, oh, I didn't get into this startup that has created this momentum. And and I think that's that's one important part of it as well, getting yourselves out there and for people to talk about you. Yeah, I mean, there's no substitute for the momentum you can get from network effects. There's just none, none. Absolutely, agree, agree. And there's one thing I hate, nothing more that I hate than somebody who's in stealth mode. It's like nothing that you're working on is that secret or that new an idea. It's just like, just go out and out execute everybody. In a way, you'll benefit more, I think, from telling everybody what you're doing because it'll validate whether it's right or wrong. I don't know, maybe it's just my opinion, but. No, I agree. I, mean, I agree. The more open you are, the better you are. And, you know, when people always ask, well, aren't you afraid someone is going to go and do this? No. You're still the idea. Like, even if you have the exact piece of code that we're using and built something exactly, you know, similar, the way you execute it is going to be always very different. So there isn't anyone else that can build exactly what you're building in the way you're building it. So you have to have confidence that you're just going to do it better. And I think it's actually admiring. Like, you know, like, it's, it's, it's a sign that you're doing something right if there is going to be someone else that wants to do the same. And competition is always going to be there, right? If you're going to make it big, you're always going to have competition. And, and it's a good thing. It means, you know, it's picking up. Whatever you've, you've chosen to build is, is really solving a problem that someone else wants to solve too. Exactly. And it helps, essentially, the whole industry. I mean, you sometimes see startups that I, I think it's very rare, but I've come across a couple of people that, you know, ask you know, in, even investors to sign an NDA before they stand across the deck. And then it's like, well, you know, like you're not, you're probably not Elon Musk. Like you're not going to be, you know, like it's probably not that big of a secret what you're doing. So, 
Even Elon Musk, like, he releases publicly the white paper for Hyperloop. Do you exactly. know what I mean? He's like, I dare you to go build this because I don't have time. And I agree with you. I think NDAs are a complete waste of time. First of all, they don't hold up in court. And second of all, like, everybody's had the same idea. It's really just plenty of people are trying to do what I'm trying to do. And just nobody's good at it. Do you know what I mean? It's the way I feel about it. So, Absolutely. Okay. Are you, are you two going back to New York when you're done here? Um, yes. So we'll be going, I'll be going actually in a couple of weeks uh, and Malik will, will follow in, in a few weeks' time as well. How long do you expect to be there this time? We'll see. I mean, this is the fun thing about building a startup is that like nothing is definitive. Like people are asking, well, how long are you going to be there? Are you going to move there? What's going to happen? And the answer is always, we'll see. Uh, of course, we have a, a, an initial plan, you know, it's to be there until um, probably September and then from Bali to Singapore. But it all really depends. If we're going to have really amazing conversations with some investors in Southeast Asia, we might come by a little bit earlier, then we'll go back or you know, or we'll stay there until the end of the year. Like, it really depends. Um, so this is a part of the startup life, and you just kind of have to get used to it, but also, you know, love it, really. I think it was like in New York, we went there after a couple of weeks' time, and we sat down, and I kind of started talking to people that we met there and saying, well, we're looking to relocate to New York, and then we're having lunch with Malik one day, and he's like, do you think we should talk about it? Like, are we actually doing this? Because I hear you say it all the time. Are we actually, like, doing it? And I'm like, yeah, maybe we should talk about that. <laughs> really, maybe I should tell my family. <laughs> they don't know yet. I feel like there's a, a Zvuk podcast series that needs to be told, a story that continues to needs to be told. Anyway, I'm going to let you two go. I really appreciate your time again today, but I feel like there's just going to keep being more and more to talk to. I want to keep following up. Thanks so much, Mark. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to, to talk to you. All is fun. And hopefully next time we'll have some more exciting updates. Let's hope so. Yes. Okay. Bye for now. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Bye. Bye.